0: Titus chapter 2, please. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. Let me get the 13th verse to fill out the sense more. Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Jesus Christ gave himself for us in order to redeem us or buy us back from the consequences of our sin, our iniquity, and to purify unto himself a peculiar people. For a few minutes, I would like to share with you what the Lord has laid on my heart for this Lord's Supper and this assembly, and that is the particular redemption of a peculiar people. And we take our words out of this text that says, Jesus Christ gave himself for us, that he might redeem us. There's our redemption, and it's for us. It's a particular redemption, even us, whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles and purify unto himself a peculiar people. At the Lord's table today, let's view our Lord's special affection for his own peculiar people as we just sang in two songs picked by one who wasn't sure where I was headed in this sermon. Instead of multiplying doctrinal proof of redemption for the elect only, Let us grasp his love for the elect, is what I want to accomplish. For a detailed study of limited atonement, go to our website and punch in limited atonement in the search box at the bottom of the home page. A copy of it is on the table over here to your right. We call it limited atonement because you have to limit the atonement either in quantity or quality, or you end up a universalist heretic. If you do not limit the atonement in quality, then you end up with it being limited in quantity. In quantity, we mean those for whom it was intended. If you do not make a limitation on it somewhere, you're going to end up with everyone being saved. We limit the quantity in that Jesus died for the elect, and there is no limit to the quality of that sacrifice for us. They limit the quality by saying the death of Jesus Christ saved no one. By making the quantity unlimited and applying it to the whole human race. The term limited atonement is self-proving. It has to be limited because not everyone is put at one again with God, but only the elect. Men hate the doctrine of limited atonement for it makes God sovereign Man worthless as a race, and salvation a pure gift. Confused theologians say, Christ's death was sufficient for all men, efficient for the elect. Isn't that cute? I wonder what book that came from, because it's not in the 66 books in my divine library. Arminians have no concept of God's love, for God loves everyone equally, which reduces it to a whore's meaningless love. Most of those God loves, according to their scheme, he tortures for an eternity in hell. And those that do make it to heaven get there by their own distinguishing efforts that separate them from others. That's an Arminian's concept of the love of God. Our ancestors in the faith who lived in England and came to this country were particular Baptists. That was their name. Particular means belonging to or affecting a part, not the whole, of something. Partial not universal. These Baptists believed and taught that Jesus Christ's death was particular for his elect only. This distinguished them from general Baptists, holding that Jesus died generally for all men. He's not sure why he died, because he didn't save any but those who saved themselves, but it's a mess. And those of us who were raised in Arminian theology and then were able to read the Bible and have it pointed out to us, the glorious doctrine of election and salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. He gets all the glory, and it's of God that we are in Him, because we were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world, and He died for a covenant people that were given to Him, and He would lose none of them. Amen. Their whole theology argues against all those verses in the rest of the Bible. John Owen, that chaplain of Oliver Cromwell argued, and I appreciate this much, from one of the four books that I mentioned to you earlier today that were given to me by a closet Calvinist when I was a young man. He argued that Jesus Christ suffered the wrath of God and satisfied the justice of God for some of the sins of all men, for all of the sins of all men, or all of the sins of some men. It's just a nice way to put it to make you think. We believe that Jesus died for all the sins of some men. Those chosen by God for salvation and given to the Lord Jesus Christ and His death certainly and finally secured their everlasting salvation without the loss of a single one. This is a distinguishing mark of our church and it reduces like-minded churches to a very, very few. But we don't want to be content with doctrinal correctness on this subject or thoroughness. We would rather add to it our grateful appreciation for Jesus Christ's personal, intimate, and possessive affection and sacrificial payment for each one of us that truly believe. Let's not be content with just knowing the doctrine, being able to defend it, and being able to mount up a pile of proof texts to prove the validity of the doctrine we hold and the insanity of the doctrine that's preached around us. Let's be excited and choose rather to gratefully appreciate the affection and peculiar redemption that we have in the Lord Jesus. Now there in Titus chapter 2, we had the word peculiar. We typically would use the word peculiar today to mean weird or strange. But it doesn't have any meaning like that in Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. I'm going to show it to you. Rather than boring your ears with a lengthy definition of four parts, out of the Oxford English Dictionary, I'm just going to let the Bible interpret the word peculiar for us. And I hope that that will be sufficient. What it means is, we are God's personal and special treasure as His own elect children, distinct from all other persons. We are God's personal and special treasure as His own elect children, distinct from all other persons. This peculiarity was illustrated in the Old Testament church and fully realized in Jesus Christ's redeemed children. There are 7 billion people on earth as of October 31st, by the best estimates. And brethren, among all them, you and I are not peculiar to anyone. Those who love us may not, And those who love us cannot help us in the hour of death. And those who love us after they get us in the ground will barely remember us. That's the way it is because you're not very peculiar. But I want to tell you today the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you are incredibly peculiar. You are the treasure of the living God. You are his children distinct from all others. He has possessed you, he has purchased you, he has created you, you are his, he will never lose you, you are his prized possession, and I want you to rejoice in that, and I want you to look at that table that is set before me, rather than an ordinance of the church as a personal celebration of the Lord's love for us today. That's where I want to direct your minds. Please turn to Exodus chapter 19 with me. Exodus chapter 19. My brethren and I hate saying this and it doesn't belong in proper speech, but I have far too much to share with you and I'm sorry for it. But we'll ask the Lord to help us to rightly divide this outline and to pick those points that would be of value to you. Exodus chapter 19. I'm very... Excited about this subject, and I want to share it with you. I do not want us to be a church that glories in our mental comprehension of the doctrine of election or Jesus Christ's particular redemption for his people. I want us to be a church that has hearts full of thanksgiving and appreciation, gratefulness, and willing service that he loves us so much and confidence that we are truly his treasure and he'll never lose us. And to believe those things as scripture tells us. Exodus 19, let me read verses three through six. And Moses went up unto God and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and tell the children of Israel. And my brethren, this is the church of the Old Testament. Read Acts 7 if you need Stephen to help you out by understanding these are the people of God of the Old Testament. You say, but there were some among the nation that might not have been God's elect. That's to be understood. He's addressing those that were his elect. If you want to reach deep into the spiritual intent of all these statements. From an external statement, he wa- they were his peculiar people in a national, natural sense. But if you want to look beyond that, You will understand the word of God. It's a spiritual book. And here we go as he addresses the Old Testament church. Verse four. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagle's wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, Then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now that's a little sermon. That's a little declaration that God gave Moses to address to Israel. And look at what he said. Look what I did to the Egyptians. Look what I have done to you. And if you'll continue in my ways, you'll be my peculiar treasure. And I have brought you unto myself. We are his possession. We are uniquely different from others because we're God's. We are peculiar in the sense that he owns us. He possesses us. We are special to him. That's what the word peculiar means. We're owned by God. We're special. He possesses us. He's purchased us. We are a treasure him. And I give that to you today. You may not feel very special among the seven billion, but among the seven billion, God has chosen you to be his peculiar treasure. You are very special, not because of anything innate in you, but because it seemed good in his sight to make you one of his. Deuteronomy chapter 14 Deuteronomy chapter 14, a peculiar treasure, not a weird treasure, my treasure, a special treasure, a possessed treasure, a treasure that I'm committed to. Deuteronomy chapter 14, the first two verses, ye are the children of the Lord your God, Ye shall not cut yourselves nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God and the Lord hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. God's choice is election and he chose Jacob, he chose the nation of Israel to be his peculiar people above all the nations that are upon the earth. They are the children of the Lord their God. Jehovah restricted his children from heathen customs due to them being a holy people, and he having chosen them to be a peculiar people to himself above all nations. Notice the word peculiar in here is a possessed, loved, special people, different and distinct from all others. Peculiar means you're the Lord's. And you're his, and you're important to him, and he's never going to lose you. You're a prized possession, different from anyone else. Peculiar. Thank you, blessed God, for that peculiar word. Peculiar. We're thankful for it. Look at Deuteronomy 26. Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy 26 and verse 16 This day the Lord thy God hath commanded thee to do these statutes and judgments. Thou shalt therefore keep and do them with all thine heart and with all thy soul. Thou hast avouched the Lord this day to be thy God and to walk in His ways and to keep His statutes and His commandments and His judgments and to hearken unto His voice. And the Lord hath avouched thee this day to be his peculiar people as he hath promised thee and that thou shouldest keep all his commandments and to make thee high above all nations which he hath made in praise and in name and in honor and that thou mayest be an holy people unto the Lord thy God as he hath spoken. Avouched means to declare or acknowledge or claim solemnly as one's own. To avow is what it means. And so Israel this day had declared and acknowledged and confirmed and avowed that the Lord Jehovah was their God, and the Lord Jehovah this day had declared and acknowledged and confirmed and avowed that they were his peculiar people and that he would make them greater than all the other nations that he had made. And he would make them greater in praise and in name and in honor. Look at Psalm 135. Psalm 135. The, I hear an Arminian. Let me take it. Let me chase a rabbit. I hear an Arminian. Aha. Gotcha. The three passages so far have only mentioned that he was going to make them a greater nation than the rest of the nations that he had made. He's only talking about national privilege. Okay, Arminian, are you an Arminian? Yes, I am, and I'm thankful to be one. Well, if you're an Arminian, then you believe that the only way you can get to heaven is to have the means of grace. And God's grace was given through his prophets, judges, and scriptures only to that nation. So you're dead in the water again, Arminian. Go wherever you wish with your little foolish doctrine. We understand that within the nation of Israel, they are not all Israel which are of Israel. And if the peculiar people of God in the full spiritual, eternal, and sense that means the most to Him, were far beyond just the citizens of the nation of Israel. They're ridiculous. Psalm 135 and verse 4. Forgive me for hunting on the Lord's day. Psalm 135 and verse 4, For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure. Now let's come back to Titus chapter 2. There that we just read, Jehovah chose Jacob, or the nation of Israel, going under the name of Jacob, since Jacob was the father of the twelve sons that gave the twelve tribes to himself for them to be his peculiar treasure. Titus chapter 2, let's look at it again. Verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. That peculiar people are the possessed, purchased, beloved, owned, special people of God, distinct from all others. And Jesus Christ died on the cross to make adoption, predestination, justification, atonement, and all of it possible by redeeming us from all iniquity so that He could purify, make those holy and without blame so that we could be adopted as the children of God and be His peculiar treasure in the universe. And the angels desire to look into these things. He's going to make us greater in praise and name than the angels themselves. It's the principalities and powers in heavenly places that are to learn something about the goodness and greatness of God in what He's done toward the church. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. Turn now to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. 1 Peter 2, 7. Unto you therefore which believe... He is precious. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ described in verse six, as a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. Verse seven, unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. That's rejection. Verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation. That's an elect group of people. A royal priesthood. Kings and priests, just like was said to us back there to the church of the Old Testament. an holy nation, like was said back there. A peculiar people that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. A chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Now notice, this is the New Testament, and we are no longer dealing with national privilege or national favor and blessing. We are dealing with spiritual privilege and spiritual blessing and favor. We are dealing with the strangers scattered abroad that were Jews in all the nations of the earth scattered abroad by the Assyrians and the Babylonians that have been, that are being written to by Peter and exhorted that in Jesus Christ, which their nation had rejected because they were appointed to reject him, they our new holy nation, right along with us Gentiles. We're all brought together into one body by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so there we have the word peculiar. Particular redemption means Jesus died only for part. Particular redemption of a peculiar people. Jesus died and redeemed us from all iniquity to to purify to almighty God "...a peculiar people, a possessed people, a purchased people, a prized people, his own people, distinct and separate from all others, and raised above them because he has adopted us as his own children. In ourselves, we're not worthy of the least of these mercies or favors that I described." The throwing out of adjectives and nouns describing us is not because of anything good in us. It is by His pure mercy and grace that He chose that nation, Israel, above any others, and it's by pure grace that He chose us to be part of His New Testament holy nation. Where do we go? The New Testament is full of this, that we are special and prized and the possession of God. We we are children the adopted and predestined children of God, which makes us his peculiar possession and his peculiar treasure. First John chapter three, since you're close by, but many of you, all of you should know these words. Behold, verse one of first John three, what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. And it goes on to describe more of the aspects of our sonship. But adoption is incredible. We are his peculiar treasure. Right. Peculiar, separate and distinct from all others. He loves us and prizes us. He'll never lose us. We're most meaningful to him. The only use of the word peculiar that I did not give to you is Ecclesiastes 2.8. I gat me silver and gold and I gat me the peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. What is the peculiar treasure of the kings and of the provinces? It is unique diadems, unique crowns, unique fashioned gold and silver and other instruments made from other precious metals, unique, prized. Why did Solomon get the, the peculiar treasures of kings? and of the provinces because they all brought them to him as tributary gifts and to honor him for answering their questions because all kings of the earth came to him with their prized presents to give him that they might hope were better than what the last king brought so that he might remember them. The peculiar treasure of kings and of the provinces. That's the only other use in the Bible. I just get excited about all of them. Oh, this is no mere church ordinance. We're not going through some motions for some church ordinance. This is to celebrate and to remember and to be thankful and to praise God that he has made us his peculiar people, his peculiar treasure, and he's purchased us. Caiaphas knew that Jesus would die for the children of God and gather them together in one, even you. Do you know he mentioned you in John chapter 11 when God came upon him and made him prophesy? Those of you that memorize John chapter 11, verses 49 through 52, Caiaphas said that he would gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Yes, indeed. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14. Ephesians 1.14. It says in the last part of verse 13 of Ephesians 1 that ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. We were given the Holy Ghost as the seal, the divine stamp of approval upon us that we were a peculiar treasure of God. Verse 14, which is the earnest... The Holy Spirit present with us, given by the promise of God under the new covenant, is the earnest or the down payment or the performance bond or the surety of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. Do you know what your purchased possession is? It's your body. Jesus Christ died for you, body, soul, and spirit. And your body is purchased, and though we lay it in the ground, and though it may see corruption, it will be changed. Because it's God's prized possession. It's part of His peculiar people. You, without your body, it's hard to see you. And we're going to be put back together, body, soul, and spirit. The purchased possession. We've been purchased. We're prized. We've been paid for. We've been bought. What? Know ye not? 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Look at Romans chapter 8. Brethren, this is being severely curtailed. But if I send you an outline, would you take 10 minutes to read an outline that took your pastor hours to put together? Don't let the, let's not let the word of God fall to the ground. I just want to keep producing, but I'm sorry that we run out of time and I don't want to bother your mind right now with too many points. I want to just bother your mind enough that you understand that those promises given in the Old Testament and restated in the New about a kingdom of kings and priests, that is great, mostly fulfilled. It wasn't fulfilled in Israel of old. If you were from the tribe of Levi and you were a priest, you couldn't be a king. If you were from the tribe of Judah and you were going to be a king, you couldn't be a priest. But we are a nation of kings and priests and the greatest fulfillment of those statements that say we are his peculiar treasure. We are the treasure of the living God. We are the treasure of Nebuchadnezzar's God, of Daniel's God, the Most High, who ruleth in the kingdoms of men and raiseth up over them whom he will. He's chosen to make us His children. And the Lord's Supper is to remember how it was paid for. And the Lord's Supper is to remind us of the price that was paid to prove that we are His peculiar treasure. And I turn you to Romans 8 and verse 32. Romans 8, 32. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, that is, all of God's elect, that are called according to the purpose of God, that is in the context front and back of this verse. But delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? One more comment on that rabbit that I see limping off into the woods, and I want to blow away. Do all receive all things that God freely gives? He doesn't offer. He freely gives all things. And the only ones that is intended for are the ones he sent Jesus Christ for. But that is not my point, so I'm leaving it right now. The point I want is, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us. What did he give for the purchase of Israel as a nation? He gave the nation of Egypt. Big deal. What did he give for us? His own son. He that spared not His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? The question answers itself. He has to give us everything, because it's obvious we are His peculiar, prize treasure, because He gave His Son for us. Amen. And the Lord's Supper is to remember He gave His Son for us. Right. And His Son willingly went for us, because it was a joint covenant, to have a peculiar possession out of a sinful race and the angels desire to look into it and i could i could prove it 30 different ways and i have and this is one of them look at first peter chapter 1 the bible's filled with this I don't want a dry doctrine in this church. I don't want a dry church with doctrine. I want a weeping and a shouting church that loves the Lord Jesus Christ and loves God our Father for all He has done for us right. and for making us His prized possession. The angels want to look into it. Why don't you want to look into it? Why are you bored to consider these things when the angels are fascinated by them? 1 right. Peter chapter 1, verse 18 For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Oh, you, there's no present coming from God as slight as silver and gold. The present that came from God, the gift that he gave for the life of his elect was the precious blood of his own son. Amen. Remember that when we take a cup and don't think, well, we've just done our church ordinance. You take that cup and remember that that blood was shed for you to show the purchase price in this universe of how special You are to God as his elect, a peculiar people. You're not far from Hebrews chapter seven. Hebrews chapter seven. How do we know that we're God's peculiar people? Because the greatest man in the universe is working 24 seven for you. Three times the New Testament, Romans 5.10, Romans 8.34, and right here. This was closer. I saved you distance. Hebrews 7.25, wherefore, because this man, verse 24, continueth ever, meaning he doesn't die like all other priests, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Verse 25, wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost, that come unto God by him. How do they get to God? He brings them. Seeing he ever liveth. To make intercession for them. Jesus Christ is living and working forever. To make intercession for us. At the right hand of God. That is how peculiar you are to almighty God. His son is arguing on your behalf. Your son, His son is pleading. I'm using legal terms simply for your understanding that he has an unchangeable priesthood and he ever liveth to make intercession. Amen. Reminding his father of all that he has done for the peculiar people of God, those who are the sons of God. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Husbands, in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word to this end, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. is that a peculiar people? Is that a peculiar treasure? There it is right there that Jesus Christ did to think that Jesus Christ and God the Father love the church and everyone outside of the church equally is blasphemy. right Which the Armenians love to do. The Armenians love to have God loving those in hell as much as those that are in his church. But Jesus gave himself for his church because he had a very specific purpose in mind and it was the will of God given to him that he would present that group of people that called out congregation of the Lord to God. Glorious church, without spot or blemish, because he purified them from all iniquity and redeemed them from all iniquity to purify unto himself a peculiar people. He calls us his church. He gave himself, he died for the church, precluding all others that are not part of his church. He did so to present the church to himself, a glorious and a perfect church, peculiarly his. Verse 29 through 32 tell us that no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, Even as the Lord, the church, the Lord cherishes and nourishes his church, which is his body. That's his peculiar possession. That's his peculiar people. He has made us so close to him by a mystical union that we are the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is our head. We are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. Verse 30. How much more does God need to say to you for you to appreciate that you are his peculiar people? There is much more that can be said. The angel told Joseph that he would save his people from their sins. Shiloh would be charged with the gathering of the people. The foundation of God standeth sure. Having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And he's going to tell the wicked that he never knew them. We are the elect and redeemed singing a new song in Revelation 5 that he has taken out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. He calls us his sheep and he avouched to himself in that 10th chapter of John and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also. I must bring because they were his peculiar people. And do you know who that is in John 10, 16? It's you. It's me. It's us. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. He calls us his sons, brethren, and children in four verses in Hebrews 2. And he says he is not ashamed to call us brethren. There are angels standing there all around him who have never been called brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ but he will call you brother because you are his peculiar treasure. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 6 that if we'll come out from among the world and be separate and not touch the unclean thing, he will receive us. He will be our father. We shall be his children. He will be our God. We shall be his people. He will receive us. We are his peculiar people, and we can be even more peculiar more his, closer to him, in closer fellowship, by leaving this world and running to him and cleaving to him and laying hold of him and loving him. Mm -hmm. If God loved you enough to send his son for you and not others, will you live for him? Rather than a dry and dusty theological issue, this point of truth magnifies God's love like no other. If we're his peculiar people, which we are, let us be zealous of good works, as titus two fourteen ended, and show forth the praises of him who hath called us out of darkness into his marvellous light, as first Peter two nine through twelve ended. So let us do those things. let's come to the Lord's table. It's not a dry, dusty church ordinance; it is a memorial, supper and feast, and a time to remember that we are the peculiar chosen treasure of the living God and His Son Jesus Christ, whom He sent to redeem us from all iniquity and purify to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. (laughs) Amen.